Welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome back to Employee of the Month. I'm so excited to be sharing today my interview with Kathy Ladman. She is a stand-up comedian. She's been performing for over 30 years. Uh, she's been on The Tonight Show nine times, including two with Carson, Johnny, Carson. Um, and she's also performed as an actor on programs like Dr. Katz, Mad Men, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, and written for Roseanne. I was really delighted to speak with her because I'm at a crossroads where I'm like, I just want to host my talk show, and then I think I want to write for television so I can make a living. And then I'm like, wait a minute, how am I going to sustain a career? And that is a really tricky question that I think everyone faces. It's no longer just about showbiz being a, a tough place to stay uh, relevant. It's, I think it's true in all of our lives and all of our careers. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Kathy. She also talked about becoming more thoughtful as her stand-up career progressed and feeling more honest as she's gone along. So her latest piece, her latest greatest, is called Does This Show Make Me Look Fat? And that is about her struggles with anorexia. And I do not envy anyone who has anorexia. I do envy having some discipline so if there's just some balance between like wanting to stuff your face with everything in sight which is me and withholding and not allowing yourself anything wherever that balance is I hope to find it one day so it was good to sit down and hear about her desire to strike that balance as well from the other end of the totem pole without further ado here's my interview with Miss Kathy Ladman How old were you when you first heard me? Well, I'm not that much younger than you. Oh, all right. <laughs> you probably are. But I appreciate the idea that I am. Oh. Um, when did I first hear Kathy Ladman? I think I saw you, in fact, I know I saw you um, on HBO's, you had like a one-night stand. One-night stand. Yeah. That was 1989, I yeah. think. Oh, my God, my hair was so big, and I hated that show when I looked at it again. I really did. Does that happen to you when you look back at like your stand? I mean, you were on Carson nine times, right? Yeah. Or, or the Tonight Show nine times. Yes, yes. But I mean, sometimes I look back at stuff that I used to do, and I've really outgrown it. I mean, but I think that happens to everybody. It has to be inevitable. I mean, look at George Carlin's early stuff. Right. He must have looked back and been like, "Oh, that's so hacky." Yeah. Seven and words. There's at least like thirty now. No, I'm but not. Kidding. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, when he was wearing a tuxedo and doing yes. Vegas and short hair and. Yeah, I mean, I really think it. I'm trying to think if there's anybody that I used to love that I. Well, I used to really love Jerry Lewis, but I think I dislike him now for so many other reasons. I mean, the main reason was is his dis- disgusting, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Dismissal, homophobia, dismissal of uh, of women. Yes. I mean, I just think it's it's unconscionable. I mean, it's and it's stupid. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because you you started, I feel like, or you were part of the height of stand-up comedy. And I like I do associate you a little bit with like the time of brick walls and yes. shoulder pads for better or for worse. Yes. No, you're right. <laughs> and I was I really was very lucky. I mean, I started in 1981 and it was a great time. What was It was the, just a matter of like? luck. You know, it was my age and 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 I that I wanted to do this. Blood type. Yeah. Um, t- yeah. t- tell me a little bit about you you breaking in um, then, because it seems like it was sort of like the jazz era, like where jazz clubs were really hot, right? And stand up it was sophisticated then, and people right. went to clubs and it was- right. And it's funny that you say that because I um, I've often said that stand up used to be like jazz, and I think it turned a great deal into disco, you know, kind of like pablum for the masses. I think. Uh, it's a lot like John Travolta's life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and it, it's disappointing to me. And, and not to say there isn't some, there you know, aren't some terrific comics out there and and great comedy and 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 doing innovative things. But but I think that it became very, um, you know, kind of just watered down. Um, in terms of the content, in terms of the like forum for it, like I find like the two drink minimum. I mean, technically, if I showed up at a fancy restaurant, right, I could theoretically like order a six dollar appetizer and they can't kick me out. And there's something sort of tacky about going yes, to these clubs. There is, there is. It's a very. It's because you know what they began in bars, they're saloons, and the club owners 
um, were people who sold liquor. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think to a great degree, they found, thank you, they found comedy was another way to sell booze. And that was true when you started in 1981 as well? I guess, yeah. But, you know, I was never, thank you, I was never, I was just handing Katie my water. I bring it um, from the well directly to you. Um, this room is so big that, you know, I feel like we're <laughs> screaming at each other. We are um, at Six Point Harness taping this episode of the Employee of the Month show. And we are in a booth that is uh, smaller than my hips. um well yes it was like that when i started and and you know certain types of acts sold a lot of booze they were that those type of acts i was never that type of act. how would you describe your act you know like al-anon people and (laughs) aa and seltzer and an occasional beer no i mean i'm sure like people drank people did drink when they came to the club but if they were my audience, generally speaking, they were not big drinkers. And the kind of act that I do doesn't encourage drinking. I mean, there were, there were, there were acts who went on stage with a beer, which I always found so disgusting. And um, How do you describe you know, your do, act? Like, you do these poor, you'll do very funny one-liners, like, you know, I just ended a relationship, I got married. Right. Um, you're very personal without being like overly sharing. I don't know how to, it doesn't feel contrived intimacy. It's honest anecdotes yeah, from your I life. I think I'm very honest. I think I'm very honest and I think I strive to even be more honest as I go on in life. There's more stuff that I uncover that I want to share, that I need to share in order to be authentic. And it, it's, you know, I'm sort of at a crossroads right now and I'm in the middle of developing this show. Does this show make me look fat? Right, and which has been taking forever. But it's about my uh, anorexia and my journey with it. And it's not the same... T- it's not a stand-up show. I wanted to hear about that, though, because I saw that you performed at a, a nudist colony. Oh, God, yes. Yes. As uh, pa- was that part of this? Well, that was part of this film, this documentary that I'm also concurrently working on, which is very slow in the making. But it's about body image for me and you know it it uh, dovetails a lot with my eating disorder and not feeling comfortable in my skin uh you know it's so funny because i i know there's a picture of me someplace i went to hawaii with an ex-boyfriend like over 20 years ago and there's a picture of me in a bikini and i know the bathing suit i remember that bathing suit and i had much longer hair and I looked great and I felt good and I don't I don't recall um, stressing over how I looked in a bathing suit then but knowing me and knowing how long I've dealt with this I'm sure I did right I'm sure I did I have and now I haven't worn a bathing suit in three years so let's talk about this because you were on stage for you've been on stage for over 30 years now <sighs> Jesus Christ and you would be so crazy. Jesus <laughs> that's so fucking crazy you mean, I mean I know that and I've said it but just <laughs> Jesus and what's interesting is that you got on stage from the get-go being very honest about your life growing up Jewish dealing with neuroses dealing with um, anything from dating to you know moms and all this stuff right but you had, you didn't feel comfortable talking about yourself well you know I try well I did talk about myself on this level. but I didn't talk about this and I tried to many times and it really brought the room cold I mean there was one joke that I came up with that could play in a comedy club but everything else, I, I what didn't, was that joke? Um, that I was uh, turned down. I think this is the whole joke. Uh, I was turned down for health, health insurance recently because uh, I have a history of anorexia. Well, that's what they said. I know why they really turned me down. It's because I'm fat. <laughs> and that's the only joke that I could come up with in telling the story and I fought it a lot you know and I wanted so badly to come up with jokes but there was also a part of me that didn't want to make the telling of this glib yes you know it's too um it's too important and you know I thought Jesus I mean people do this about cancer and people are able to do this about alcoholism but they're different there's something about anorexia 
that's so frightening to people, even more frightening than cancer in a way. Well, I was going to say that I've never heard someone talk about it on stage who's a comedian. Not, I, I don't think I know any comedians who've spoken no, about it. No, and you can it. talk about being fat. People joke about being fat. Yes. I mean, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Is it, it really because is. you think people won't be as empathetic because most people strive to be Well, thin? I mean, this is what, it, yes, this is one of the things that I talk about in the show is that it's very misunderstood as a mm-hmm. disease. It's people think you're vain. Um, and people don't understand what the fatality rate of this disease is. And, and, the, and that it, it's an inverse symptom, meaning that, from my understanding, whether you're starving yourself or overfeeding yourself or self-medicating in another way, right? they're all responses to something deeper. They are. And they are. And they're all responses to something very similar. I mean, they're yeah. all... In, in, you know, in fact, just to take overeating and, and undereating... Uh, or bulimia, all of the, you know, eating disorders, they're all uh, symptoms of a lack of acceptance and wanting to hide in some way. And people who overeat and and some who become like, you know, just grossly obese, just want to completely, you know, mask themselves. Right. Right. You'll see that. from, From human contact. Yes. Yeah, I mean, on, on both extremes, when you see someone really, really thin or really, really obese, right. they've checked out in terms of sexuality. Right. You know, there's no room to right. be with another person and intimately. Right. However, you can be fat in our society and be accepted. If, if you're not grossly obese, you can be overweight and, and blend in. And, you know, and people don't, you know, kind of like, you know, you know, shudder. Not if you're merely overweight. As long as you can fit on an airplane without someone yes. charging you extra for it. Right. That, I that mean, should be the cutoff. Right. I mean, if you don't have to get one of those extendo things. Fit um, in one pair of pants. Right. You're fine. Right. <laughs> exactly. One pair. But what you were saying is that on the flip side, were you, were you saying that on the flip side, if you're very, very thin? It's, you know, you're like, people are terrified of you. They're just terrified of you. Well, I, I do feel that way sometimes in that I feel sometimes when I'm around very, very thin friends, it ex- I feel like it exposes my, my um, lack of impulse control. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel judged. Like I don't meet, I don't measure up. You know, mm-hmm. it's like projecting all these things. Well, it brings things. a lot up, and and this is a very major point that I bring up in my show, that this our society is so obsessed with being thin that they almost don't see it as a disease. I mean, it, it they kind of either go from being terrified to being jealous. And um, I think it is part jealousy and, and part almost uh, exotic exoticization is the wrong word, but sort of there's like a, a a thin porn. I don't know what the right word is, but like people will be like, "Oh my God, she's so thin." They romanticize. They romanticize it. it. That's yeah. exactly right. But um, it's, it's not porn because it's not sensual. But it, that's exactly right. They idealize and romanticize. Just as I said, I I worry sometimes when I see a friend who's very right. um, rigid about exercise and right. eating that they look at me and think I have no impulse control, which I do not have. So right. It's a fair assessment. Well, but, but that's. I mean, I I I wish I could let go. I mean, you know, I was. Um, well, there's a balance. No, I know there is a balance, but you know, I was in um, I was in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, working, performing stand up. Yes, on a, on a cruise actually, and um, and it was fun. I had a really good time. I have to say, I relaxed for four days. So, what was it about that work trip that let you let you're away from your uh, husband, you're away from your daughter? Yeah, what happened was, you know, I, I got there and I had to do a show like the first night. I, I slept overnight at a hotel and then I had to do a show the first night on the boat, on the ship. Can't say boat. And um, You can't say boat? It's not a, no, they get very, I, I, I remember like in the 80s when I was doing a few cruises, I would say boat and they say, then it's ship. <laughs> I mean, I just get like very, you know, how people get like very, um, it's not a sedan, it's a coupe. Yeah, what like that that type of thing. They get oh, very it's not invested. A car, it's a yes, they get very invested in the label, and and they have some hang up about that. Totally, whatever. I got but chastised I, today for someone. I said the Hamptons, and he goes, "No, I'm in Sag Harbor." And I was like, "It's not technically part of the Hamptons." Oh, <laughs> no, it's not. Hamptons are east and west and south. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, I guess there's a north someplace. Yes. but um, 
so you know so the so I did my sh- I did a show the first night and it was really not a good show Ugh, it was terrible we just you know they were just not connecting and it wasn't, it wasn't mean or anything it was just we were not connecting and um got off stage and I was like oh my god that was terrible I said to the stage manager and he's oh the entertainment manager and he said don't worry about it he said it was the end of an 18 day cruise and they were packing and you know they were like they were their heads were home you know so I mean they know these things after working on a ship for like six months they know the the cycles of the passengers they know how they are so then you know I didn't have a show for like four or five days so I was able to be not in my show head and I hadn't had an opportunity like this in in years we haven't had a vacation in years and it was so great oh my god I just relaxed so much I had um, shaved ice in the middle of the day which is something that I would never let myself do (laughs) never but I said you know what Kathy you're in Hawaii and it's known for their shaved ice so have it you know, and I, but I have to like talk myself into it. I mean, there are people who go, let's go have that, you know. And it amazes me that they could just do that. Why, why, just out of curiosity, do, do you not let yourself have something that seems so innocent? Um, it's not like you're like, oh my God, you know, Hawaii is known for their heroin. Like, just do uh, it. <laughs> but heroin has no calories. Heroin has no calories. That's, <laughs> that is a fair point on your. Well, you know what? I mean, to me, shaved ice seems so innocent. Like, why can't you just enjoy that little pleasure? But I did. Ultimately, I did. But it took a lot of self-talk. It really did. And it generally takes self-talk. And like on the way over here, it was like, I didn't have time to have lunch. I I don't know when I'm going to have lunch. And I had a candy in the car just to have something. And I had to like talk to myself about that. Wow. I mean, that's pretty fucked up. But that's who I am, you Did know? you always have anorexia? No. When I was a kid, I ate whatever the hell I wanted to eat. Whatever I wanted to eat. And, and I ate some strange eat. foods. What were some of the strange foods? Oh, my God. I mean, um, I used to eat, like, after, you know, an after-school snack. I used to have things like... Um, blue cheese or uh, hickory smoked cheese or gefilte fish. But you would eat gefilte fish for pleasure? Uh-huh. I loved it. And then my mom, if she was making Where did me- you guys grow up? Little Neck, Queens. Okay. Oh, wow. You're really Jewish. <laughs> I'm not really Jewish. You're not Jewish at all. It just feels like Oops. that to me. You're, are you, uh, what religion are you? I'm, I mean, I grew up, I was raised Jewish, but okay. I don't practice a religion. Okay. But you grew up in this sort of, uh, in Queens. Yeah, I mean, around a lot of, around a lot of other Jewish people, that there were, there were several kids in my school who were not Jewish. But yes, I grew up around a lot of Jews. Okay. I think. I think it was the gefilte fish having it for fun that, that. That set me off. But I know a right. lot of other Jews who wouldn't. Uh, it's protein. Want that? I mean, I loved it with the gel. I loved the jelly. Oh, really? Yeah, I loved the jelly. And oh, then my, one of my favorite snacks was when my mom was making meatloaf or meatballs, and she was making the seasoning the um, meat. Um, she would save me some of the raw meat in a custard cup. A little custard cup. Yeah, and now now would you ever feed that to your daughter because of fears of salmonella? No. Okay. Plus there was a raw egg in it. <laughs> and and a knife in the middle that I had to find. No. But uh, <laughs> but that was sent with love. It was packed with love that night. It was great. <laughs> um but I mean, yeah, I had like weird foods and I used to eat Chef Boyardee beef ravioli out of the can, you know. When did the anorexia up. kick in? I would say, no, to my recollection, you know, I started like gaining weight in high school a little bit. I can remember very, very clearly this one woman. I was on my way to school and I I remember my sizes going up in my junior sizes. And part of that is also just development though, right? Natural development? I guess, but I think at one point I was a size 11, which I thought was kind of big. And, um, And I look at some of my old pictures from high school and my face is a lot fuller. And then when I went to college, you know, I didn't grow up eating very well. Like, my mother made horrible iceberg lettuce salads and never had fresh vegetables. And I, 
you know, I rejected it. I really rejected it. So that when I went to college, I wasn't used to eating good foods. And then we would get stoned a lot. And I would... Where did you go to college? SUNY Albany. Okay. And another very Jewish destination, I'm I, sure. You know, it, no, it's, it's like, uh, it's a Jewish New York. It's like I say, Woody Allen is my Judaism. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, a, it's a picture of Judaism that I right. as a kid, but it's it right. no means relevant to someone's religious No, practice. it's not religious. It's a, I guess it's more of a cultural thing. It's yeah. a language. It's a mindset. Yeah. And you probably have more in common with people who are Irish or Italian from the same neighborhood. Yeah, then you know, you necessarily know. a Jew from the Midwest or or an yeah. Israeli oh God, I'm like so not into religion. I can't even tell you. Um, but uh, that's what. Do you think that's because you're you're well? Why why is that for you? I just don't like. I just don't like yeah. the. I don't like what they stand for. I don't like the divisiveness. Yes. Um, I you never, had a great I never joke. did. You had a great joke about when religion you, being all religions are the same. Yes. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays. But, and you know that um, Richard uh, Dawkins, I believe it is, right? Uh-huh. The scientist? He, yeah. He quoted me in in The God Delusion. I was very proud. Paul Provenza, like, like emailed me or called me and said, he was reading it and he was like, my, wow, you're, you, how fucking great is that? And, and I didn't even know that. And, um, uh, you know, and I haven't even read the book yet, and I and I would like to read the book. And there's something like, like I'm sort of like afraid to read the book. I think because I don't want to completely dismiss the idea of there being some sort of a higher power. I don't know where I stand with but that, that now. That may, very... that may not necessarily need to be tied to organized religion. Per no, se. I mean, but I don't know if that book is about organized religion. I see. Well, you I... probably want to read it before. Yes. <laughs> no, you're right. And I, I, I my, Before I decide what I'm afraid of, I know. That's me. You know, f- be afraid first and then investigate. Yes. Well, maybe that's also the, you know, withhold, you know, keeping yourself back. Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, I think that I am a very well- constructed character I think that I would play me really well and that everything that I do uh, makes sense to the whole is that part of what's been your success both as a comedian and an actor do you feel like you like I know who the part that I'm going out for I know who they are expecting to see on stage and I'm going to be that person I don't know and then on a deeper level you're like that's not me and now I want to explore it on a more yeah, I don't, I don't know, because there are times when I think that I've nailed it, mm-hmm. and I don't. Um, in, in stand-up or acting? or um, Both. Okay. Both. But like I said before, I'm definitely at a crossroads with, with my stand-up. I want to, I really want to get to a deeper place. And when did that the, hit, hit for you? Because I think it's a really interesting thing, because here you've had such an illustrious career. And God, I, you know, I don't even see it. That's how out of touch I am. You were on The Tonight Show nine times. I know. You perform on Craig Ferguson. You've been on Curb Your Enthusiasm and Mad Men. I mean, I know. there are very few people who succeeded when they were young and continue to do so. I mean, that's not an easy thing in a business that is not oh, very Believe me, I'm feeling it right now. At, this, at, at 57, I'm definitely feeling the... Um, you know the la- is that lashback? Is that is that the word? Yeah, about growing older. Yeah. What does it feel like? Very discarded. Um, you know, uh, not just not not in, not it, it. It doesn't feel inclusive the way it used to feel. And there are so many variables that have led to that, both in the industry and in my personal life. I used to work out at clubs six nights a week at least. I mean, I had to force myself to take a night off to not be, you know, just, and I, I was, and because I was feeling guilty not going, I said, I've got to take at least one night a week when I'm not going. And let's give and I love, but I loved it. I loved my friends. You know, there's no, who were, let's give the listeners some context because I know, but okay. I, I'd like to share with listeners. So you started in 1981 in New York. Right. And you broke in and came up the ranks with, well, um, Joy Behar, Susie Essman. You came up with Joy and Susie as mm-hmm. well. I, um, oh God, I'm like, I know, I know Brett Butler. Um, and, and then there were people who were slightly ahead of me. One of them was my boyfriend at the time, Steve Middleman, mm-hmm. Paul Provenza, Mark Schiff, um, Rita Rudner, um, Bill Maher, um, 
what about Carol Paul Liefer? Reiser, Carol Liefer. Um, and Seinfeld? Seinfeld was a little bit ahead of me. Okay. Jim Brogan was a little bit ahead of me, you know, okay. by four years yeah. or so. Yeah, no, but was, you feel it. It's like it's like high school all yeah, over again. You yeah. know who's in your year. And, um, and I know I'm forgetting people. I know I'm forgetting people. But at that point, it was mostly performing at Catch a Rising Star and the comic strip. Yes, those were my clubs in New York. I mean, I started at lesser clubs, but when I went up to the majors, those were my clubs. And those were considered the major clubs then? And the improv also, but I didn't play the improv. How come? But, well, one time I auditioned there and Silver was really like kind of mean to me. Yeah. And then I just didn't like want to go back because it was so convenient being at Catch in the comic strip, you know, just going, doing that walk. And oh, Fred Stoller or somebody else I came up with, you know, passing people on 79th Street yes. saying, how's it going over there? What, you know, did you get on? You know, that kind of thing. It I feels mean, it was, like campus. It feels like a whole exactly. new Exactly. Like, it was like camp. It was like camp. It really was. And, um, and I took the Crosstown bus because I lived on West 84th Street. Okay. Did, was Stand Up New York around then? No, no, but they did come eventually. And when I would make my trips to New York, I played at Stand Up New York several times. Okay. And Caroline's and came later. And Caroline's I played at. No, I opened for a few people at Caroline's. I opened for Jerry, whom okay. I've known since 1970. One, you went to camp two. with Jerry Seinfeld? We went to Israel together. To Israel? Yeah. On, uh, since like a teen tour. Histadrut uh, was, was the name of <laughs> what it. What was it called? Histadrut. Histadrut. Yeah, figures my parents would send me on. Well, my mother. You know, I'm sure she researched it very well. <laughs> um, but it was great. I mean, it was great. And um, I can't believe you went on a teen tour with Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, and he was my first, ma he was my first serious boyfriend. I've told this story so many times. And he actually started stand-up before I did. And then I was really scared to start stand-up. And he encouraged me and gave me, like, the push that I needed to get on stage. So I opened for him there. And I opened for Yaakov Smirnoff, Smirnoff there. I headlined at the Seaport. Oh, wow. Um, That's right. That that used to be, like, Caroline's or something like that? Caroline's relocated to the seaport. Yes. I love the first location in Chelsea. That was yes. this intimate, and it was really great. I, mean, I remember going to see Richard Lewis there, and he was so... I mean, I love him. He's just I feel like I'm in, like, favorites. the wrong generation, because I just love all of you guys. Like, I feel more connected to your generation comedically, and I feel like my generation is, like, all these, like, I was the cool kid in high school, and now I'm going to, like, make fun well, of Well, I feel people. like there's a lot of... Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of snarkiness. Yeah, it doesn't come from, like, a place of, like... Why are my parents absurdly insane? Did they survive the Holocaust? No. Why do they I mean, act like, this way? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't. I guess I don't listen to a, a lot of comedy today that I should be listening to. But I mean, is there a lot of self-exploration in comedy, or is all is it all about? Well, like, I actually find a lot of the self-exploration today to be so self-indulgent. I mean, you guys came about in a generation where that was just starting. So you have to remember that, like. Right you were the therapy generation. Right. And so now, if you were to sort of sit on stage and, and which people do, and talk about um, masturbating all day, to me, I'm just like, do you understand that there's a war going on? Or like, I know, I like know. There's like a lack of depth to it now, and at the time, that was actually really subversive to be to be able to love your family and love yourself but also talk about your problems right was a totally different and new thing right I know I mean like this like it, it's a good example about like talking about like, masturbating all day it's like who the fuck cares you know like I mean, what does it matter and I really feel that there are many comics there's a lot of kind of shock value and no soul and um, kind of very contrived, kind of like the, like contrived characters well, being, in a way. Being funny now is so cool. And so that basically anyone can be a comedian to some extent. And you'll hear people like use phrases like, I'm hungry, not yet. I don't know. My <laughs> stomach just growled. Did you well, hear that? Yeah, that's probably why I said I'm okay. hungry. Because <laughs> you are hungry, and it's so hard to be yeah. with someone who. But don't worry, I'm anorexic. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry about my hunger. If I could give you some of my flesh, I would. It's part. If it would make it better. It's part of my job. <laughs> it's too bad you're not. Um, a car uh, I was going to say carnivore, but cannibal. Oh. Um, so, okay, so you started in stand-up in that era. I just wanted to yes. set that out there. It was the height of it. It sounds like you guys also made money performing. Yes. Yeah, we did. Um, I mean, I started making money 
in a year. In a year. And how and, and you say and not big money, but enough to pay my rent and from stand up. Yes. Because now that's basically unheard of. I mean, most really? people, unless you're touring, unless you're, right. you're, but to make money in the city for well, just stand-up is... It, oh, that's true. Okay. Well, basically it was, yeah. I mean, I was making money not just in Manhattan, but I was doing those gigs that we used to do, like that where you'd drive to in Jersey or Westchester yeah. or Long Island. Yeah. Like the Jerry Stanley gigs. Yes. And the Jim Balazzos gigs. And we'd all what were meet. Those? We'd all meet. At the, we'd meet at the improv generally, and it was like camp. A bunch of us would be at the improv. We'd all be talking and ask, who, "Where are you going?" It's sort of like, sort of like, like, what bunk are you in? Yeah. And and then we'd split up into our cars and go where we were going. And most of those gigs were horrible. Um, That's what I remember. But they were funny. I mean, they were funny because they were so horrible because we were all dying. And so then when did you decide to leave all this pain and misery behind and go to Los Angeles for new pain and misery? Well, what happened was I was with, thank you, Steve Middleman at the time. He was my boyfriend and we were living together. And he um, had been doing this by probably about four years longer than I and was very successful also very successful in commercials, and he really wanted to give L.A. a chance, so he decided to go out for pilot season one year. And I joined him for, it was, it was like three months. It was when there was a very definitive pilot, pilot season. Pilot season, yeah. And, um, and I joined him for a month of that. And while I was there, he took me to audition at the comedy store, and I did really well, and Mitzi liked me, and she goes, oh, you can be a regular. And uh, so while I was there for that month, I worked out as much as I could. I called in, you know, my veils and, and got spots and worked out as much as I could there. And then um, maybe I had, maybe I got another local gig here and there. And so then Steve and I decided we were going, oh, I also tried out for game shows. While I was here. To be a host or to be a contestant? No, no, but to be a contestant. I tried out for a few game shows. Uh, Wheel of Fortune. As a way then, to make a living? No, just to make some money. You know, that's what I'm saying. As a way to make a living. Yeah, just to win. Just to, you know, have fun. <laughs> so I actually, I I did, I passed my Wheel of Fortune uh, um, audition. This is in lieu of waitressing. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess, right. And they called me to, and then, oh, and then Steve and I decided we were going to move out to L.A. And our relationship was kind of rocky at the time. And um, so we came out to L.A. Uh, Will of Fortune told me, gave me my tape date. It was like the end of June. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, 1985. And we came out, and I, I said to myself, I've got to, you know, I'm going to have to win a car. I need a car because I'm going to move to L.A. I have to win a car. So I go out there, and I win a car. And we found an apartment, and then we flew back to New York, and I think on the plane we broke up. And then I said, come on, let's work it out. And he goes, no, this is it. I was like, oh, okay, all right. So then I had to move back to my New York apartment, and stayed there until October, and then I moved out. I told him I wanted to keep the apartment because I had found it. And I went out by myself, and my father was like, you still going out? He thought because I broke up with Steve that I wouldn't go out. I said, no, I'm still going to go out. And uh, I was broke. I mean, I couldn't afford this apartment. I wasn't working. And it was scary. And then finally, Mitzi started giving me some bigger gigs. And then my agents started coming through, and things just started coming together. And I moved into a different department, and it, that was the beginning of a really good time for me. And acting—you really seem to have thrived acting. I mean, you were in you know a series regular on Carolyn in the City. Well, I was I was a recurring. Recurring. On, yeah. Sorry. What's but the difference between? So I, a series regular is someone who has paid con- who gets a contract who's in generally every show okay or you can you can be a semi-regular and be in seven out of ten or whatever the hell but you de- and you generally get a much better uh rate okay for being a series regular do you still um, get checks from like doing that and Seinfeld pennies. and I was never on Seinfeld you were never on no. Seinfeld no no and I called Jerry the last season and I said Jerry 
I really want to be on your show. He goes, consider it in my head. Why? Did, why? I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you were on Curve Your Enthusiasm and Mad Men. I was. And Larry is really good. I mean, Larry, I think I was one of the last comics he ever um, put on the show. And he's like, I try, I want to get everybody on. I mean, he's like very sweet, very sweet. And we and I had a lot of fun on the shoot. And my name was Kathy. You know, he called me Kathy. Yeah, I love it. Because he was my friend, And basically. I loved you thanking him for his anonymous giving. Right. It and it was so fun. Funny. And we really had a great time. And, and we laughed. And we did, you know, several takes. And, and the whole episode fun. is that he, he wants to be known without being known for giving. Yeah, well, all he does, it's all, you know, basically, it's all about Larry wanting, to, afraid to not be as good as everybody else. Yeah. You know, he wants to be in the number one slot. But I so, also love the need for credit on every building where it'll say, you know, the the Arthur and Martha Tishman toilet, you know, has been know. generously donated to you. I know, it's Please exactly. Use one, you know, I know. Of, tooth, of toilet paper Please sit carefully. <laughs> yes. But I mean, like, also, like, when you watch a PBS show, you always see at the end... Oh, 50, 50 corporations. All these foundations. And, then, yeah. and I mean, like... Martha and Stuart Plotnick. I mean, donated. why can't they? They can still take the tax deduction without. Mm -hmm. Yes. You well, know, and the highest me. form of giving, if you look at the Maimonides scale, I believe one of the highest forms is anonymous giving. So I thought it was also a very teachable moment and curb your enthusiasm. It was, for the but young ones. I think it was probably lost on most. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was fun. And Mad Men was completely, uh, you know, it was just an audition. Fabulous. Yeah, and that was a lot of fun. It was a tiny part, but it was still very, very thrilling to be on that set. And. What was nice is that I, I sort of know, I mean, I don't, don't really know John Hamm, but he's good friends with Jimmy Pardo. And so I said hello to him at the reading and, you know, told him I was a friend of Jimmy's. And he was sweet as could be. And after the reading, he said to me, that's going to be so funny. It's going to be great. I mean, very kind. Yeah. He seems and then like John a Slattery, uh, I was in a movie with him. Which film? Um, I had a, I was pr pretty much cut out of the film, but I you can still see me in it, so I still have gotten residual checks. Do you still it's get Charlie paid? Wilson's War? Oh, that's right. I was going to ask you. You've been in, in two Jonathan, two um, uh, Nichols, uh, Mike Nichols, yeah, Mike Nichols films. Yeah, it was uh, pl uh, What Planet Are You From? and um, Charlie Wilson's War. Did you know Mike Nichols? No, but Mike Nichols was my Nichols and May were my very first inspiration. I used to listen to my parents had this album, Mike um, Nichols and May Examine Doctors, and I used to listen to it so much. I mean, like constantly. And I was like little. I was eight years old, and every every selection on the album is something about doctors in in some way, and. Um, what I used to do is I, I, I memorized the album, and my mom used to um, come into my room every night, and I would say my prayers, my dumb prayers, and then... What were your prayers? Oh, God, it was, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before my, I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless, and then a, a list of people. So you did have religion growing up, though. Oh, I, my mother was like wanting to force it on me. It was, I mean, that's one oh, of that's the, why you don't like religion. I thought you well, because before you were like, oh, we weren't religious, and I was like, okay, I just meant because no, you my mother and you ate gefilte fish. No, my mother was really into Judaism, and my father was too. But as my father got older, he, I think he sort of saw the light. Yeah, but um, my mother has thrust it upon me and many others her entire life, and so anyway. Um, so I, um, my mom used to come in, listen to my prayers, and then I would do a selection off the album for her. And she, you know, didn't really know what to say. You know, I don't remember her laughing or encouraging me in any way or anything like that. We must be related. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, she, um, so anyway, so... Several years went by, and I was going to do my first Tonight Show, and I always used to put on makeup when I did a show, and even if I was going to go to a TV show, I liked to do my own makeup first and listen to music, and I was thinking what would be good music to listen to, and I thought, I'm going to listen to my Nichols and May album. So I listened to that, and it was you know, a very sweet moment. And then there was another time when the um, Museum of 
television and radio or is it music or broadcasting now? I forget what it's called. Um, the Paley Center now. Oh, okay. They were putting out they a They had book. to put a name on it. Oh, right. <laughs> they were putting out... That, really? That's all that it's yeah. called? Ugh. They um, were doing a book called Comedians and I was in it and they asked me to write a little blurb for the side of my pa- the page and, and I wrote the story about that. Um... And then I saw I saw Mike Nichols and Diane Sawyer. He was being honored at the Comedy Awards, so I brought my album and I asked him to sign it with a Sharpie. And then I had an opportunity to uh, audition for What Planet Are You From? So I did. I got a call back, and I figured Mike Nichols was going to be there. I am. I don't give a shit. I'm just bringing in the album to show <laughs> it to him, and I'm going to copy that page from the book to show him, you know, what I wrote. So I did. Uh, and I didn't hear anything, and I thought I didn't get the part because it was a little part. Uh, a, month bo- a month goes by, my agent calls me, and she tells me I got the part. So I was so thrilled. So I have one day on the film, and I drive up to this uh, house on the an- in the Antelope Valley where we're shooting. And at one point, I'm in my wardrobe and makeup, and at one point, uh, he had hurt, he had broken his foot or something, and he was not moving around a lot. So he was standing someplace and he was kind of you know working with the DP setting up the shot and um, I was just standing next to him like just shoulder to shoulder kind of randomly placed I didn't place myself there I just it just kind of happened yeah and I don't know what came over me and I didn't like think about this but I just started doing the lead like the 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 lead uh, piece on the on the album and I said gauze, and he said more gauze. <laughs> and I said more gauze, and he said more gauze. And we just keep going back and forth for like, I don't know, a full 30, 45 seconds until I got mixed up because I couldn't remember who who I was, Mike or Elaine. And I was like, oh my God, I said, you don't know what it's like to do this with Mike Nichols. And he said, you don't know what it's like to be Mike Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband and my stepdaughter, who was pretty young at the time, were, were visiting me on the set. And I just, I ran over to tell them. And every time I tell the story still, I get like chills. Because it was such delight. Oh my God, it's like brought, my, it brought yes. everything full circle. Totally. I always listen to um, Gilda Radner, even though I don't, you know, do the same form of comedy. Right. And I eat toothpaste to make my mouth open when I am performing. Because it, I have, I mumble. Really? It's like funny rituals, right? And then I listen to Emmy Lou Harris to calm me down before you I go eat to toothpaste. Isn't that disgusting? To make your mouth? I'll open? just put like a little toothpaste oh. in because it's it, it like it's so oh it works painful yeah that I'm oh I have but to you're not supposed to swallow that. I know. Well, you know what? All right, it's not going to kill you. As someone who's not an anorexic, I don't mind taking an extra calorie. Okay, no, it's not the calories. <laughs> but for some reason, they just say not I know, to swallow. No, no, it's terrible for you, and that was not Why an appropriate joke. Um, it it's so painful. It's like so sharp. Is it like bad for your stomach? Maybe I'm sure it's horrible for your stomach. It's probably oh. all chemicals. Okay. Um, Sorry. So two last questions. Yes. Like, how do you make a living in the lean years? Like when you don't get booked on a show because you you act and do stand up, and so if you're not getting booked, what do you do? It's really hard. It's really hard. You just gotta like pray something comes along, and you know I did I did try to do some work on a, a friend of mine. Um, got me a job on a reality show very close by here what were you doing on the show just like like kind of like pulling clips and stuff like that and oh. and, and like for different like the editors would ask me to, to look for certain things I hated it yeah oh my god it was so not me and I can't do it and the thing is like another friend of mine just offered me a job doing that and I can't do it, you know? It's re- is like, that bad for me to even talk about? Like, no. I'm embarrassed I, I that I'm feel, talking about it. I feel demoralized. Is this embarrassing? No, now? I think it's interesting. Anyway, it's very hard is the answer. And, you know, and I work intermittently. And um, and I take work that I can, you know, that I can feel like I can hold my head high. I mean, I tried that. You know, I figured, what the hell, I'll try it. And it was was just not for me. It was not for me. 
uh, it just was depressing. I mean, and I would find myself crying in the ladies' room like so many days. Totally. So that's like, what do you do? I mean, that that's the hard part is like figuring out how to sustain my career without like crushing my soul because you'll, I mean, you know, you're talking about growing up with Jerry Seinfeld and he gets all the success he could possibly want and then you're like, so why can't I have like one sixteenth of that or one twenty eighth of that? I know. Um, and that's I don't, life. I don't but know it's the like answer to that. Figuring it out how to carve it out, I think, is interesting. Right. Well, it's reflecting your you're feeling more free now as you get older. Do you know what what clicked for you that you're feeling more free? Um, being honest about talking about an eating disorder, uh, feeling comfortable going on stage without a prepared set, which is very you know opposite of stand up. Yeah. Um, do, um, do you know what the moment was where you felt like I want to go deeper in my stand-up and at the same time I want to be able to go on stage with nothing prepared but know that I'm going to be fine? I don't know. I guess there's just a kind of a feeling of just, I just, I don't want to hide anything anymore. And do you and know I, what, what pr- prompted that? I know it's not one incident, but I'm just wondering. No, I mean, life throws you all sorts of things and you, and in, and in, you know, maybe many businesses, but. I know this business. This is my business, and I know that in this business, you—it's so much. There's so much smoke and mirrors, so much bullshit, and I've never, ever been one to enjoy it, um, or even tolerate it. And even enjoy the winning. Even enjoy the moments when you're like, I just booked another job. You know, I don't like to like. I don't like to throw things in people's faces in that way. I mean, I like, I can feel good about something, but, you know, I, I, I've never been one to, ever been one to brag about myself. And I also don't want to have to apologize for myself, for where I am in my life. And I feel like so many of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when you get older, I think there's a lot of shame in... Um, not being who you were, you know? And I think that sucks, and I think that's fucked up. It's true across professions, but but I, I think ours, we're just on stage, so you, you see it so Well, there's so much, I mean, there's so much veneer in, in our business, and, it, and it's so much about how you look. So much. More than, you know, except for modeling, you know? More than any Which other I business. turned down immediately. <laughs> I'll never Me do that. Too. That is that is Me too. I won't even do that. In fact, as a second I think career. that's what my call was. <laughs> Please. It's the Ford agency. <laughs> um, Kathy Ladman, thank you so much for being on Employee of the Month. You're great. You're a great interviewer. This was a joy to do and I really um, was glad to have a thoughtful conversation about aging in our business because we are in a particular world that they care so much about youth in a way that's like fetishizing and, and ends up destroying themselves so that the people, the very executives who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s right. are the ones saying, let's right. get a 20-year-old in here. And I'm thinking, right. what are you doing to yourself? Right. They're eating their own tail and all of a sudden, yeah. oh my God, that hurts. Yeah. And not that not that the 20-year-old shouldn't, shouldn't be celebrated for having talent, but there's nothing wrong with also the growth and depth that occurs as you get older, which is hopefully inevitable. It's not always true that no, people become no, wiser as they get no. older. But as you talked about with your stand-up, you know, you've been funny all along. You just got even more thoughtful about it. Yeah, and you know, I'll tell you when I was really when I was quite young, I had this fantasy that I would move to Europe when I was, I don't even know when, but elderly. Yeah, which is getting very close. And um, twenty more years. Yeah, and because they they've always seemed to have more of a reverence yes. for older people no, there. They don't, you, in most countries, you know, they don't, they don't have old age homes. People take care of their families. Yeah, they don't, they don't put them out to pasture. It's like seen right. as disrespectful. Right. Um, the one thing I did want to ask, did you ever win Wheel of Fortune? Did you win it? Oh, yes, I won a car. You didn't tell that I you did. buried the best part of the No, <laughs> I said I wanted a car and I won a car. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. All right, that is amazing. And Steve Middleman was with me, and Jimmy Brogan was with me, and they came down. And it was it's such funny footage. And I'm wearing glasses, like, bigger than Swifty Lazar's. And, um, uh, yeah, I went, and they didn't give cash at that time, so I won a stereo, lamps, china, and a car. And I was able to sell the uh, china to someone uh, who wanted that pattern. <laughs> the lamps I kept, the stereo I kept, and the car I sold back to the dealership because it was giant. It was like it was an Oldsmobile Tornado. <laughs> it's 
huge. <laughs> it was like a, it was a two door. You know, I had to like walk like fifty feet to get to the handle and then walk back <laughs> to open it and, and hope there was someone there to close it. You know, it was crazy. Well, but, I wish you much much luck with your career. I'm excited about. You. Does this show make me look? Me fat? too. It's a it's a good it's going to be a, a good thing for not just me. I think it's going to be an important thing for a lot of people who you know, have the disease, might have the disease, um, and people who need to be aware of the disease. Which is everyone. And loved I mean, ones, yeah. And uh, particularly around older people, because I think that that's also a subject area where it's not talked about. You know, if you get anorexia or bulimia or uh, any of the other number of eating disorders in high school or even junior high or even college, there is somewhat of a protective world. But right. I always feel so much more scared when I see people who are older battling with these things because people won't necessarily intervene. No. No. When you see like a, a Beverly Hills lady. Yes. All dolled yeah, up. Yeah, we have them on the FRE side. Yeah, yeah when... right. Who looks... And that's, that's one of the reasons that I think people are also more scared of anorexia is that people look like skeletons and skeletons are so blatantly deaf. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's well it, it is um a question of mortality. All right, I cannot sorry, keep an anorexic from it. eating. No, Go eat. Wanna... Okay. You... Um thank you so much Kathy Ladman oh, for doing the show. My pleasure. I had so much fun. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. I'm your host Katie Lazarus. Thank you to Joel Arnold our editor and thanks to all of you for listening. It makes such a difference. I'm not kidding. It really is like inspiring to see all the numbers going up and seeing that the more and more fans are um, starting to subscribe. I love getting your emails. Please do continue to donate. That's also been really exciting. Give $20. Like, that's it. That pays for a meal. If you have more, I, I'm, I promise you we will happily take it. Um, and definitely check out the live tapings if you are out and about near New York in July and September. I will talk to you very, very soon. Guess what? I am recording this on a Friday, which means the weekend is coming up. And that is when I'm going to be working on my pet projects, which is also what I work on during the week, which is employee of the month. But you should be either taking a vacation for me. And if you're going to be taking a vacation for me, I'm personally very interested in going to Africa. So hopefully you're going to Africa for the weekend or working on your own pet projects, which you can share and let me know about when you go to employee of the month show.com. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Have fun storming the castle.